get this right, and we get it right now, we can create new jobs and save jobs for decades to come and give future generations a healthy, secure life on this planet. Welcome to Energized, the podcast created by the McGill Energy Journal. I'm the editor-in-chief and founder, Sofia Trifampoulou. And I'm the director and podcast host, Jacopo Esposito. And in each episode, we'll analyze the fascinating world of energy together, observing the ins and outs of the energy transition. Today, we'll specifically get into the ongoing energy transition, both locally within our own very university and globally, as well as the concrete steps that have been and will be taken to achieve a sustainable future for our university in just a moment with our podcast guests, Mr. Miller, McGill's Executive Director of Sustainability, and Mr. Conho, Director of Utilities and Energy Management at McGill. Very glad to have you on the podcast today. Glad to be here. Same here, thanks. So let's jump straight into it. Um, Mr. Miller, your priority as you know, energy director and director of sustainability is to make McGill carbon neutral by 2040. Uh, could you explain a little bit more what are the main actions necessary to reach that goal? Yeah, so first, maybe I can just describe briefly what the makeup of our greenhouse gas uh, emissions are. So about two thirds of our uh, greenhouse gas emission comes from building mainly natural gas. The rest comes, there's a small portion uh, associated with the greenhouse gas emission um, from the energy that we're purchase. So we are fortunate enough to be in Quebec where electricity has a very low carbon footprint. And the rest, which is about a third of our emissions, come from both air travel and uh, commuting. So what's quite unique about McGill's carbon neutrality target by 2040 is that we include what's called scope tree emissions or indirect emissions. Those, as I just mentioned, mainly come from air travel and commuting in our case. And Uh, Our whole approach to carbon neutrality is based on first reducing our greenhouse gas emission. We also want to maximize uh, the carbon that we sequester, uh, mainly through uh, tree growth. So at McGill, we sequester around 2,600 tons of CO2 per year, mainly at the Galt. Uh, reserve and at the Morgan Arboretum. Uh, Last, the last tier of our approach is to offset the remaining emissions that are deemed unavoidable. So Jérôme's team is focused on transforming McGill's energy system. He'll talk about it a bit later with smart uh, grids, uh, conversion of our gas-powered boiler, and our office, the Office of Sustainability uh, at McGill, is focused on developing programs to address mainly behavioral changes to contribute to the university's greenhouse gas emission reduction. I see, yeah. So that would mean, you know, there's these two kind of 
teams that work together in terms of putting on one hand all the things that have to do with uh, outreach the community and you know setting up a framework for for this change uh, and Mr. Congo's team really works on the on the dynamics and making it actually happen with the infrastructures. Um, so that brings me in connection to you, Mr. Congo. You've worked on many sustainability initiatives, you know, naming Vision 2020 here at McGill. How do you see the McGill facilities evolving during this energy transition? Uh, I'd say not fast enough, <laughs> but uh, let's be serious. It's, it's a daunting challenge and we have a lot to do. So as you probably know or have come to realize, there's a lot of construction and renovation projects happening on our campuses at any time. And McGill is really committed to increasing the sustainability of its building portfolio. Um, sustainable construction is, is a multidimensional issue by nature, but if we really focus on, on climate, I think we can think about uh, two main aspects, climate mitigation and climate adaptation. So in terms of climate mitigation, uh, we put a lot of efforts towards reducing energy consumption and increasing the share of renewable energy in our energy portfolio. Um, we have very demanding standards, for instance, in terms of the energy performance for any new construction or major renovation. And we've been investing in energy efficiency for the past 10 years and will continue to do so in the foreseeable future. Um, you know, back in 2017, when we felt that the that McGill was about to commit to becoming carbon neutral, we published a roadmap for the energy transition. And that roadmap essentially uh, gives an overview of actions that we must put in place to decarbonize our energy systems. Um, and so without going too much in detail, there are four axes that were defined in that roadmap. And in order of priority, they are to reduce energy use as much as possible, to recycle waste energy as much as possible, to convert our energy systems to renewable energy sources, and to use alternative fuels. So um, if you want to find out more, you can go online and look up Miguel Energy Transition, and, and you, know, you will see uh, what it is we published. Um, and, and in terms of climate adaptation, there, there certainly are aspects related to it. Uh, so um, you know, if we think about the major renovation projects happening on campus, when we're designing systems for heating, ventilation, and air conditioning now, we design them to the future conditions we know will prevail in Montreal. So the future weather, if you will, of the island of Montreal uh, that, that will prevail in a few decades from now. And that really changes the paradigm. It forces us to design systems to withstand higher temperatures and, and longer you know, heat waves in the summer. Uh, we have to air condition our buildings, all of them now, because it's unsustainable to stay in buildings that are not air conditioned in the summer. Um, and, and we still have to design for very cold spells in the winter. So, so that is an example of what we're doing. Um, but I think that another aspect of climate adaptation, when we talk about the energy transition, it's risks. Risks of not doing that energy transition because if we you know, don't move away from fossil fuels, for instance, then we'll rely on them. And, and that is a risk to the university, an operational risk. But there's also the risks related to the technologies that we'll choose uh, to implement that energy transition. And um, there's a lot of technical challenges around it, and uh, we're working on that. 
You know, as you said, it's it's very interesting because both the changing of the environment and the changing of the university kind of come hand in hand. Uh, and designing the systems today to kind of benefit and to be ready for the uh, climate of tomorrow is something that very few uh, universities are doing currently. And it's something that is actually very specific to um you know, to the frameworks that have been put in place and the and kind of the path towards sustainability in the next 20 years. So it's, it's, it's very important to have this aspect of actually having the facilities that match what the kind of the climate and the environment will look like. Looking at uh, the city of Montreal towards you, Mr. Miller, you know, and, and now going at a larger scale, so going from the university to the city, what do you think would be the next steps to achieve, you know, a, a fair transition for everyone, um, and and making it really kind of something that will happen over the shortest period possible, but that will benefit and uh, allow the most people to be included in. First, I mentioned that there's, I feel a lot of similarities between uh, a university and a city. Obviously, the core mission is different, but the, those are usually uh, large, complex and decentralized institutions. So navigate change in a university setting and a municipal setting, I feel there's is quite similarly challenging, I'd say. So I feel that similar to McGill's approach, reducing as much as possible green, uh, greenhouse gas emission is the first and foremost uh, priority that should be put forward uh, uh, in municipalities. And Ban Ki-moon mentioned a few years ago that sustainability will happen at the city level or it won't happen at all. And I truly believe that because I feel it's the level of government that's just at the right scale to instill deep, profound change in the, the the, in the fabric of, of society. So I think in order for this sustainability transition to happen, cities should focus on systematic change that's with deep roots uh, rather than uh, putting unnecessary burden on the individuals to uh, uh, to just behave differently. So this the infrastructure and the setting has to be put in place to facilitate these uh, individual uh, behaviors. You know, uh, it, it's it's as you said, the 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 streamlining of the process to kind of removing any you know uh, overburden that is put on top by extra measures, which in you know in the end will not concretely you know make a lot of change, uh, is very important. And I think Montreal has done a lot in this uh, in this space, uh, both from the sustainable Montreal perspective, which was you know the initiative between 2016 and 2020, which had you know which really streamlined the process into four strategic priorities and and how to implement them, as well as a part partnership with private sector stakeholders as well, which were included in the process, really allowed for efficient change. And, you know, adding on to that, there's also a, another level of kind of uh, measures that have been put in place in municipalities as well, looking at creating a, a climate plan with about 46 measures, including transportation, green space development, reducing garbage and waste. And so it's really been kind of a collective effort uh, on the city of Montreal's part. And so 
including everyone in that process will make it a lot easier for a successful transition. And as you said, will make that transition a lot more rooted that will cause it to withstand time and then really be a good for the future. Staying at this global level, talking a bit more technically now, a lot of EU countries and a lot of countries around the world are trying to transition to greener energies. In the case of the EU, you know, they're really working on this taxonomy, uh, which is kind of a plan to switch to more renewable energies, namely uh, nuclear, uh, hydrogen, and using natural gas as a bridge fuel for that. And so I was just wondering, uh, Mr. Congo, seeing as Canada is a very large exporter of natural gas, what do you think will be the impact of Canada having a high amount of natural gas? And will that aid in it to transition successfully to more renewable energies? That's a tough question. Um, I think there, there's definitely you know challenges and opportunities. Um, challenges, I think, for the fossil fuel industry in general, um, because we know that fossil fuels make, you know, a fair share of Canada's economy. And I, I'm not an economist. I'm not going to venture any number here, but I, I know it's, it's substantial. And um, I, I think we all saw, you know, Premier, uh, the Prime Minister uh, Trudeau's announcement yesterday that Canada will put a cap on the production of fossil fuels. Uh, so he, he announced it yesterday at COP26 in, uh, in Glasgow. Um, we don't know the details of that yet. We don't know what that's going to mean for our country, but for sure, it's. I think that it's going to put, uh, from a user's perspective, it's going to mean that fossil fuels are going to become more expensive, right? Um, which can be seen as both again, a challenge, but an opportunity as well, because it means it's gonna be interesting to do all these energy conversion projects because they're gonna be more financially interesting because natural gas is gonna be more expensive. But, you know, if, so if, if I put myself back and, and look at the national level, um, it's, it's easy to understand why some provinces, such as the prairies and Ontario are so, or some people there may be so, um, against or at least detractors of, of the energy transition and climate action. You know, when you build, when the wealth of your province is built on fossil fuels, it's, it's understandable that hearing that the industry which you rely on is either, um, you know, irrelevant or under attack at the very least is, is not very easy. So there are, however, opportunities as well. Um, if you look at Quebec, for instance, we're fortunate to have bountiful um, electricity with a very low carbon footprint, and the province is, is, is really building on that for its energy transition. Um, it's, it's, I think there is a great potential to transition away from fossil fuels. We can create jobs that are, you know, to, to be more uh, well, to work on energy efficiency of, of whether it's in the residential sector or commercial and institutional sectors, for instance, uh, the electrification of transports is is super interesting. Uh, I mean, in Quebec, you see on more and more electric cars, and it's it's not funny. But uh, I went to Ontario last week, and we were really. Uh, surprised to see how much less electric vehicles there are in Ontario. So there is a great potential there as well that they haven't tapped on yet, right? Um, and uh, so even at McGill scale, it's a little bit the same thing. You know, we're, we're not a country for sure, but we have um, a large enough energy consumption that we have to consider all these aspects. And so moving away from fossil fuels will have consequences on our operations as well. 
Uh, we consume as much energy every year as 13,000 Canadian households, and that is a lot. So uh, we rely today for about half of our energy needs on, on natural gas. So gas becoming more expensive, becoming less socially acceptable, even though it's going to be the, the bridge for the energy transition that, that we acknowledge, um, it means we're gonna still have to move away from it, especially if we wanna be carbon neutral in 2040. And, and there are technical challenges associated to it. Absolutely, uh, you know, and I think it's very important as well to take into consideration, as you mentioned, the opportunities, but as well as the challenges that this will create, namely from a uh, financing point of view. When you mentioned the COP26, which is currently going on in, in Glasgow, and uh, a lot of countries are now kind of discussing their, their ambitious goals to reduce and remove emissions. Canada, along with Germany, have been seen as key priorities to lead the $100 billion financing effort around the world to ensure that countries uh, are able to finance this transition towards more renewable energies and with more, you know, kind of sustainable societies, which includes, as you said, electric vehicles and greener infrastructure and the lot. So it's important as well to take into consideration the challenges that will be coming from this. The financing challenge will be very big for Canada, especially, you know, that's not very much of, of, a, of a problem, seeing as it is a very developed country and, uh, you know, a very wealthy one as well. But for many other countries, that'll be a challenge. So it'll be interesting to see how that ripples out throughout the world's countries and the world economies. I just wanted to close off this podcast by saying that, you know, we really want to address our fellow students and raise awareness on this energy transition. And so what suggestions do you have, uh, both of you, to, to the way that students can really contribute to McGill being at the forefront of sustainability and being a very sustainable university? First, I'm inviting all the McGill students to just take a look at the climate and sustainability strategy that was recently uh, adopted by McGill to learn first what the university is doing and also how they can get involved in each of the categories of this strategy like uh, food systems or uh, travel and commuting. So we're providing tips to, uh, uh, to students, staff and faculty on how they can contribute to the implementation of that strategy. I could also suggest the students who are interested to apply to the McGill Sustainability Projects Fund if they have an idea on how they could uh, implement a project that uh, contributes to building a culture of sustainability at the university. We have a fund specifically dedicated to that, unique to McGill. It's actually the largest of its kind in Canada with an annual value of close to a million dollar a year. So it's really a unique tool designed to support students, staff and faculty to implement sustainability-related uh, projects on uh, campus. And maybe one last uh, tip would be to connect with the uh, Office of Sustainability to see how uh, uh, we can work together. We have a, a bunch of volunteer programs, et cetera. So just connect with our office and uh, we'll be uh, glad to provide a bit more insight on how to get involved. That's wonderful. Thank you very much for uh, for that, uh, and thank you very much for coming on the on the podcast today. It was wonderful having you both, and uh, looking forward to coming back soon.
Thank you. It was our pleasure. Thanks.